Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. Follow us on Twitter at iGuestInfo. Send us your questions and we'll try to answer. Now enjoy the show. Hi, thanks for tuning in with us today. It is my pleasure to bring you today author Regina Brett. She is the author of Be the Miracle, 50 Lessons for Making the Impossible Possible, and one of my all-time favorite books, God Never Blinks, 50 Lessons for Life's Little Detours. Regina wasn't always, you know, just a, a, a super lucky in life person. I mean, she had the same struggles that all of us have in life, and, and I would even say more than, than some people. She's a breast cancer survivor. Um She's had a lot of jobs along the way that led her to this moment in time right now to be with us and share her journey. And I am thrilled to have her on. She uh, was named a Pulitzer Prize finalist twice, not once, but twice in her life. And so she's going to share her journey and her stories, and um, and we're going to talk about her wonderful books and if you have the opportunity to read them, I encourage you to do so. If you have the opportunity to share those books with somebody else, it's, uh, the, the, the books are a gift. They're easy to read. All these lessons are only one or two, two and a half pages long. It moves along very quickly. So, Regina, thank you very much for coming on with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me on. But, um, I, I just want to start with God Never Blinks because that's the book that I, I read first. And was was that the first book that, that you wrote? Well, actually, there were written... two manuscripts that got rejected along the way that I'm probably glad now they did, but at the time I was devastated. One was kind of my whole life story. Just uh, I just kind of threw it all out there and it got to an a publishing house, and it was rejected many nice times, you know, all these beautiful rejection letters you get. And I wrote another uh, manuscript about the journey I had with cancer, and that was rejected by many publishers. And this book, it really came kind of by accident. I wrote a column about the 50 lessons life taught me. After having cancer, I really was thinking one night about what a gift it was to still be here. And I wrote all these lessons, and I turned them into a book, and it just took off. It's now in 22 countries, so... Sometimes you just have to write. You have to wait for the right timing. Mhm. Well, I had read um, God Never Blinks, and then I was sitting there one morning a couple weeks ago, and I was drinking my morning coffee. I was watching the Today Show, and here on the Today Show, Hoda Copy uh, holds up your book, and she's like, "This is a must read." About spit my coffee out. I'm like, "Yes, yes, <laughs> you are absolutely 100% right." Did you know that she was going to do that, or how did you hear about that? You know, I had no idea. The funny thing is, that morning, I missed the show, and I uh, was actually writing a few checks up to some charities. I thought, you know what, I need to put more abundance in the world. And I believe that when you put good things in the world, you get good things back. Well, my goodness, as soon as I put those checks in the mail, my phone rang, and my cousin was screaming, your book's on TV. I said, what are you talking about? And then she told me, and then I checked my email, and all these people were saying, oh, my gosh, Hoda put up your book on TV and loved it. And I just thought how wonderful that at that moment I was trying to put some good in the world. Good bounced right back to me. Oh, absolutely. And I like Hoda anyway because she's just, uh, uh, it, it seems like just a, a, a good soul. And when she put that up, I could relate to her automatically. I'm like, yes, yes, Hoda got it. And then on top of that, then a few days later, then a, 
it's going to sound like I watch a lot of TV, but actually I, I do watch a lot of TV. Um, I was watching The Insider, and there you were again. And I'm like, this is fantastic. The word is getting out. I need to get Regina on the show, and um, you know, let, let's just let's just go for it and bring her on because it, it just it was so great because the word was kind of getting out, and there's such a positive message in your books. Well, and I love that Hoda shares the journey, you know, as a cancer survivor. I think it does something to you. It, it just gets you right to the heart of things, and you kind of kind of explore those universal things that we all go through. You feel more connected when you're, you're on a journey like that. And since she's been there, I think she could really relate. Well, I, I think if you have a sensitive spirit or a sensitive soul, and what your book has been good about is embracing that sensitivity in the soul and turning it into a positive thing and not a negative thing or a challenging thing. I, um, people who have more sensitive souls, as you describe in your books, are more, you know, easily maybe bruised through life. They um, are hurt, you know, more often, um, and they uh, are always trying to figure out if they should be a stronger person or, you know, if that's a liability. But but. But having that sensitivity really, like you were saying, is a gift. It, and, and then you just kind of learn how to to use that, that gift. You know, I think you're right. I was one of those people, I felt like I was born bruised. I just, right from the start, just never felt like I fit in. Always was trying to figure out what was wrong with me and was never happy the way it seemed everybody else had happiness. You know, I was always comparing the inside of me to the outside of everybody. And then I realized I am just one of those extra sensitive people, and I've got to use it for my good and for the good of others instead of trying to just always be strong. And my goal was to, like, stop crying because I'm, I'm a crier. I see a beautiful commercial when I break down in tears. I hear a great country music song, I'm bawling in the car. And I realized, you know what, it's a gift. It's a gift to be sensitive. It's a gift to feel. It is, and, and I, I will tell you when I knew right away that that, that you had the, the the gift. Really, I mean, in in your writing, you know, obviously it's there. But I, I forget which chapter it was maybe five or six, really early in into God Never Blinks. You wrote a um, a story about your uncle and holding up the sky and and his journey and what what he was. What, what, what his journey through life was going to be and how some people were made to be stronger than other people. And the thing is that showed me you had the eyes to see that gift. And there's a lot of people that would go through this world and never, ever realize that. And then, of course, what a great gift and testimony that, that you were able to write that about him. But because of your sensitivity, you had the eyes to see that. And I, I don't think a lot of people would have been able to to, to see him and the gift that he was given unless they had that sensitivity. You know, that that's sweet of you to mention. My Uncle Paul, he really did teach me that lesson. God never gives us more than we were designed to carry. You know, he had six children. The youngest had Down syndrome. And then his wife died, my aunt, died of breast cancer. And uh, they were ranged from age 2 to 14. And he was just an amazing soul, not one complaint ever. He was just pure joy all the time. I don't know. He was just made so differently. And I think there are many people like that in the world, but sometimes we've got our magnifying glass on all the problems and the, the people that drain us and the whiners and complainers, and we miss the Uncle Pauls in the world, and they're out there. Yeah, and, you know, but but you have to stop and kind of, 
not look at, like you're saying, all of that noise to be able to actually focus on what what, what their gift is or, or, or what they're doing. And, and he held up that family. You, know, you were saying in your book he didn't remarry. He, he um, had six children. One of them had Down syndrome. And he, here he was at 80 years old, and he was, you know, he, it was because of him that he held that, that family together. And, and that was really his his calling in life, and we all kind of have to find our own our own calling, and maybe we signed up for it ahead of time, you know, before we came to Earth and we accepted that responsibility. I, I don't know, but I I do think that that you're you're right about that. Some some people have agreed, you know, somewhere along the way to, you know, uh, be, be maybe stronger or accept more. Than than maybe some other people, and it really is a blessing when when you can call that out and see it. You know, I think we all have that calling. I, you know, I grew up Catholic, and in eight, eight years of Catholic grade school, they always talked about having a vocation. But the choice was to be a nun or a priest, which was nothing I wanted any part of. You know, and then I got older <laughs> and realized everybody has a calling. And everybody's just different and it's unique and too often we're trying to get what somebody else's is because it looks better and we're ignoring the one thing screaming in our own soul that's calling us to do and to be. Well, and and, and you said um, find where your the, the thing that makes you the most happy meets God's purpose. When those two things come together, what what you really like, and yours was writing, and then you you found that purpose that, that that you felt God had for you, and those two things came together, and the rest of us really have benefited from from your writings and your your um your uh, fifty lessons have has really gone viral. I mean, it's around the world. People are just uh, you, you, I think you get uh, people writing you from all over the world about your lessons. You know, I'm getting emails in languages. I'm not sure what they are. I have to go onto Google and think. <laughs> Is that Polish? Is that Russian? I'm not quite sure, but I, I just so appreciate it. And, and the thing you were referring to, there's a beautiful quote by Frederick Buechner, who's an, uh, a minister and a writer, and he said, everybody has a calling, and the place where you're called is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So what you love to do, mm-hmm. you find where in the world it needs done. Because sometimes we find something we love to do, but we don't do it in a way that it really benefits the world. You know, maybe you love to bake and your family's, you know, gaining so much weight they're telling you to stop. Well, there's so many shelters that could use the food or run a McDonald's house or you could find a way to do what you love and make it of service to others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My yeah, mom is exactly. 82. My mom is 82 and she spends most of her day crocheting hats and scarves for cold people who don't have the money to buy those. I'm thinking she's still being of service at 82. She she drops them off at the shelter and they hand them out to everybody and they get a they get a hand crocheted, you know, scarf to keep them warm. Wow, that's amazing. Good for her. Good for her. And it's what she loves. You know, she I, loves to crochet, so she's found the place where the world needs it. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wanted you to talk a, a little bit too about the um the the, the the headlights that that people use to get to the next right step because I, you you were right on with that about most people look way out into the future and they think I can never ever ever get there and it's these little steps and, and that was a really good analogy that you used about the headlights and because you just didn't become a 
Pulitzer Prize nominated person overnight, and you didn't become a best-selling author overnight. And it was a lot of little steps that, looking back now, you you can see in hindsight got you to where you are today. And and you wouldn't change any of those things, but but you could have never foreseen back then where you would be now. I wanted you to talk maybe just a little bit about that. Oh yeah, Lori, my life. Uh, I can call them detours now. Back then, it just looked like a big mess. Um, I had all these ideas of what I wanted to do one day, and then I went off to college. I got pregnant at 21, wasn't married, dropped out of school, quit my job, felt like my whole life was over. And really, that's when it started. You know, Sometimes you rock bottom is the place where you start your life. I changed my major in college six times. I finally chose writing. <clears throat> then I sent my resume off. I got 30 rejection letters. And you know what? I just kept taking the next right step. And that's one of my favorite lessons, when in doubt, just take the next right step. Because too often we think it's this giant leap where we have to know the 20 steps before we take one step. And I think that it's the analogy is when you have your headlights in the car on, you know, they just shine for maybe 300, 400 feet. But you could drive all the way from Seattle to Cleveland with that set of headlights. You don't need light for the mm-hmm. whole journey, just for the little piece you're taking. And that's I still use that today, just the next right step. If you're working on a book, a marriage, raising kids, what's the next right step? Uh, you, you were right on with that, and I, I wrote that down. And it made so much sense to me um, because you're right. You just you just have to just keep moving in the right direction, and before you know it, when you look back, you've actually come a long way. But if you're trying to project it out there, it, it seems like you'll never get there because you had breast cancer, and you're a breast cancer survivor, and that's a, a, a huge thing to overcome, and that could have completely sidelined you or – um, got you depressed or, you know, and, and I'm sure it did along the way, but it didn't stop you from eventually keeping mo- moving forward. You know, breast cancer at the time was a big, another detour. I felt like I was in the slow lane of life for like two years. I got breast cancer at 41, and my three aunts died of breast cancer <clears throat> when they were young, so it was really a scary time for me. And I just got married for like a year and a half, and I I thought, oh, geez, what a way to start a marriage. You know, you think you take those vows for better, for worse, and sickness and health, and all of a sudden you're walking out on the vow. But you know what? Mm -hmm. Cancer was an amazing journey because, again, you just had to stay put in the day you're in. Because I couldn't look too far ahead and say, oh, my gosh, there's four more chemo appointments or six weeks of radiation. I could say, you know what? I can handle one day of radiation. I can handle one day of chemo. And I just kind of put blinders on and every day said, Regina, you're just going to live this day because one day with cancer is doable. It's when you think it's never going to end or that you're not going to live past a certain time, you start to get just despair that grows and grows. But you know what? Cancer taught me that you could do one day of unemployment, you can do one day of being a widow, you can do one day of losing your child. It's when you think the pain will never stop, it becomes so unbearable. And so that's really helped me to just stay put the day I'm in and just take it in little bite-sized pieces, and and you can handle a bite-sized piece. Right. Oh, very good. Well, I want to bring in Barb Davis. Barb has a huge online book club, and it's called Book So Many Books, and she has over 6,000 followers 
now, and they're all very active. They, I, I've never seen anyone engage in um, in books as much as uh, the, the people in her club. So, and they were very excited about Regina coming on today. So she's representing them. Barb, thanks for coming on, and I think you have a couple questions. Oh yeah, hi Regina, and um, thanks for having me, uh, Lori. And um, you know, you've been Regina. You've been such a, a blessing to everyone else. Um, which which authors do you go to for encouragement? I'm um, I'm interested in hearing that since I'm a big book person and and we um, an administrator of uh, books so many books and so I'm wondering you know which where do you go for encouragement? You know I read everything. I just I love books. To me, any kind of book it just fills your soul back up. <clears throat> so I pretty much. Gosh, any any books somebody will send me, I will read. I love Anne Lamott because I think she offers a spirituality that makes sense in kind of a broken world, you know, that God gets into mm-hmm. sort of the holes and the wounds. And she has a new book. I think it's called Help, Thanks, Wow, The Three Prayers That We Always Pray, which I love that mm-hmm. some of them up with the words. Uh, she fills me up. And even just short, sweet novels fill me up. Elizabeth Berg, I love her writing. Just tender novels. Um Pretty Omrigar, she's a uh, writer who came here from Bombay, and just it's they're just beautiful novels. And sometimes I need filled up not so much reading maybe spiritual books, but just books that are the writing is so eloquent. I just finished reading. Um, it's kind of an adult. Uh, I mean, sorry, a uh, young adult book, the uh, in, The Fault in mm-hmm. Our Star by John Green. Oh, I wept through the whole book. It was just so beautiful. And sometimes it's just good writing that that does something to comfort me. Mm-hmm. John Green is a, a favorite of a lot of our our readers. Great. And the Book Thief, mm-hmm. oh, one of my favorite books of all time, The Book Thief. Oh, I hear that a lot. I it that is, one it, is is mentioned a lot. And that that was a blessing to you. Oh, you know, I, I think too thief. because sometimes, especially I think as a writer, you kind of drain the well a lot of your own writing, and sometimes just mm-hmm. reading like poetry of Billy Collins or Mary Oliver or Wendell Berry, it just fills me back up like, okay, now I have more words in me, so there's something in there to kind of turn around and, and keep writing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've uh, found a kindred spirit because Billy Collins um, and Mary Oliver are my favorite poets. Mm-hmm. And Beautiful. I just love them, especially Mary Oliver. She's oh, really, she's just amazing. You know, some good stuff. Uh, the Journey. I love The Journey. And... um and Billy Collins, you know he's he's funny and um, he is a, a great real a great poem about on being ten. I don't know if you've ever read it. You know, people lament turning fifty or sixty. He wrote kind of a little satire poem with, on turning ten, and it's written through the eyes of a ten-year-old. And one line is, "I used to believe that if you cut me, I would shine." Just oh. eloquent. Just uh-huh. you just like oh, oh wow. it's like taking, you know. Mm-hmm. Two kid is another um, great one. <clears throat> Um, one other question I had is, um, excuse me, uh, a few years ago um, I was in need of a place of my own, you know, a room of my own, mm-hmm. um, somewhere where I could go and I could be quiet, I could listen to my own thought, hear my own thoughts, and I created a room and I called it the Serenity Room. 
and no one was allowed there with a bad spirit. Um, oh, I like if that. they entered, <laughs> they had to be happy <laughs> uh, or in a, a spiritual frame of mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, do you have a place like that? Do you have a sacred spot, or do you have, uh, you know, men have the man cave, and women don't usually <laughs> take care of themselves like that. I'm wondering if you do. You know, it's funny that you say man cave. I think women want more of a chapel than a man cave. They're sort of a yes. quiet, prayerful place. Well, you know, my daughter has grown. She's 34 and has two children, so she's out of the house, and my stepsons are uh, grown. So I actually have one of the spare rooms that it's where I meditate and pray, and nobody else goes up on the second floor to do that, you know, to use that room. So that's become my own little <laughs> spot. And there is something about having, I call it sacred space, where I keep my prayer books and I have a little abundance journal where every day I write the gifts that either I gave or received from the world to just keep it going, that goodness, to put goodness in the world. And I just love that little seat where I'm at, where I feel like it's a holy spot. It's almost my own little pew at my own little church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I totally want to have that. that and carve it out. And, and if you don't have an extra room, I've heard some women say they go down in the basement where no one else wants to go because the chores are down there to do the laundry, and they make the laundry room sacred <laughs> because they can be unbothered <laughs> by the world. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You do? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that there is something to to getting get yourself in a quiet space because there is so much noise coming in all the time. I mean, we're just being bombarded with noise, 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 and it's hard to to um, to hear your own thoughts or or maybe hear the whispers when God talks to you or be sensitive to your own spirit and 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 what your your, your spirit's wanting to hear or say or be fed when all that noise is is coming in. That's what was the great thing about your books is is that um, it, it it seems to cut through that noise and 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 it relates immediately. It's one of those things that the spirit kind of leaps out and identifies with immediately. And my spirit will do that to, to music. It will do that to certain people, and it will do that to certain books. For there's there's an identifying food that's coming from a source that my spirit, I, and, and I've, I've, I've come to realize that, will immediately, and I've tried to become more sensitive to that, that, that uh, following of, of, of that feeling of my spirit trying to connect to that source, where it be music, a person, a book, or something like that. And with your, your book, it, th- there was a, com- a immediate identification between my, my spirit, my soul, whatever you'll say, and the words that were coming off of, off of those pages. It was, it was, you know, immediately true to me. It was, it was uh, you know, it was, you know, when people I, yeah, say it's a no-brainer. You, kind of, you feel like kind of aligned. I, I, I sense it. I call it spiritual alignment. It's almost like when a zipper comes together and all the pieces come into to place and then you can zip the zipper up. I feel like spiritually sometimes I need to get all the pieces and parts of me connected and aligned and then I can be kind of one with God. Because it seems like sometimes mm-hmm. there is so much noise and I feel scattered in my own brain. It's like recess with, you know, three-year-olds running around in my head that there's just so much chatter about what I should be doing and, uh, and and a lot of times the noise is just in my own head it's not even in the people around me I don't watch a lot of television I, I'm really good at kind of targeting what do I want to put into my thinking because we can be exposed mm-hmm. to so much harsh stuff out there 
And I think it's mm-hmm. like food. We, we watch what we eat, but do we watch what we pay attention to on television, movies, and the newspaper? And sometimes you're talking about all these horrible things, and you realize, oh, geez, I put my magnifying glass on that all day long. No wonder I feel bad. So what I do is every day, I start the day, uh, first thing is I give thanks for today. Every day since I've had cancer, every day I wake up, my first words are, thank you, God, for another day. Because I remember when I was going through chemotherapy, I wasn't sure I'd be here. And then I go and I sit and I listen and I just get aligned. And I look at it as like you got to plug into your source. And that's my way to plug in is to get quiet and kind of show up and say, okay, Plan B is what Regina wants. Plan A is whatever God has in mind today, and I don't really know what that is. So I'm going to plug in, and all through the day then, I'll maybe get a little tug of my spirit and be able to know. Mm-hmm. Well, you talk about um, in uh, – we'll talk about um, Be the Miracle in just a minute, but uh, I, I keep going back to God Never Blinks. It, it, they're, they're both great books, but for whatever reason, I – um, the uh, the uh, 50 Lessons for Life Little Detours was the first one I read, and it just really made an impression on me. And you talk about in, in that book the um, I get to line. Instead of saying I have to, say I get to. You know, my friend Frank taught me that. When I was going through cancer and uh, I was bald and, you know, I was weighing nothing, I looked pretty bad. He was wearing a Life is Good hat, and he I said, I need a hat like that because I need to believe life is good. And he brought it over to my house, and he told me that he keeps these two words in his car above his, um, where he drives, you know, on his little visor, and it says, get to. So every time he starts to complain about work, he'll say, no, I get to work today. I get to take my son to soccer. I get to come home and mow the lawn. And cancer really taught me that everything is a get to because you just assume things are going to happen. You assume you'll get to grow old. And then everything's a get to. You know, like when I could actually feel well enough to do laundry again, you know, or uh, do chores, it was a get-to. So I I think that's like a stance of gratitude, that it's not I have to, but I get to. And I catch myself telling people, like, I have to, you know, work on the next book. No, no, I get to. I get, I get to be an author. Wow. Or I have to go visit my grandkids. No, that's a big get-to. So it's a, it's a way mm-hmm. to frame mm-hmm. your life. And almost... Lori, it's like telling yourself a different story about your life. I think a lot of us kind of lock our lives into a bad story where we're the victim or we're the villain. And I think we can start over with the same pieces and just reframe it all differently and say, hey, cancer was a great gift. Here's what it gave me. Or, gosh, this divorce, I can feel like a victim. Or I can say, I got these great kids out of this. Never would have happened without that, so thank you. It's all about how you frame your life. Mm-hmm. Right. No, you, yeah, you're right about that. And and then you you even talk about in your book, it's okay to be angry with God. Listen, He knows you're angry anyway, so you might as well just <laughs> right, admit right. it. <laughs> Who are you hiding from? <laughs> you're right. It's exactly. okay to get angry. You're right. Did you, you want to be about the damn prayer? The, the damn prayer. Mm-hmm. And it was a priest who gave me that. This priest, Jim Lewis, a wonderful Jesuit priest. I had been dealing with some childhood stuff that I haven't hadn't really finished. You know, my parents like most parents, they did the best they could with what they had. And I was one of those kids that was hungry for more. I needed to hear somebody say, I love you. Well, my parents showed me, but I didn't hear the words. And and I kind of had that boogeyman God of never, no matter what I did, was never good enough. And some of it was Catholic school added on to that back then, the way it was taught. And so I had all this anger, but I couldn't get angry at God because God would punish me. And this priest said, one, God already knows you're angry. And two, 
he shared that he was angry at God and was trying to be very pious and holy and be grateful. And one day he just let loose and just started yelling at God. And then he said he felt great. He felt like God was just laughing with him, saying, I'm glad you got it out. And sometimes mm-hmm. you got to do that. Go in the car, mm-hmm. roll down the window, scream your heart out. <laughs> it was. Well, it yeah, really it was. It really does. It, you're, you're right. It really does. It really does help because you know, like you said, he knows anyway. So right. you're the one just yeah. keeping it in. And you're I not think we want him. an authentic relationship. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to have God on some far away, up in the sky pedestal that you can't reach. I think you need a God who loves you right here on Earth. You know, that sense of that right mm-hmm. here, right now. I'm already loved enough. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to perform for it. I don't have to do so many great works that it's going to exhaust me. A God of love doesn't want you exhausted. Mm-hmm. Right. When you talk, you know, about how in marriages we, we say that we won't go to bed angry, of course, you know, we all do. But, but, but we try not to go to bed angry. But, 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 but even with God, you know, to try not at the end of the night to go to bed angry, if you have something to say to him, might as well just get it out so that he can start with a clean slate with you <laughs> the next day. I like being honest. There's times where I'll be praying for clarity, and I'm, I'm just not seeing it. I'm just not getting it. And I'll just say, God, if, if you gave me the message, I missed it. So either show me a billboard or use a sledgehammer. Somehow you want me to do something. I'm, I, I missed it. I missed the turn, whatever. So be really clear. And then it's amazing. I'll be driving, and the license plate in front of me will give me the answer. Or literally there will be some billboard, and I'm like, oh, there it is. Like, amazing. So I really believe that. <laughs> God is always speaking, but we just have to get in the stance of listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you talk about, too, how, how your life kind of signals you, too, to slow down when you're out of control. I really <laughs> I really related to, um, uh, you'd said in there, um, you'd went to pick up a glass or something, and it uh, was kind of stuck to the counter, and you're like, that's a signal that I need to slow down and kind of clean the kitchen, you know. Exactly. And actually, when I read that, when I read that, I thought, I think I might have a glass that's stuck on the counter as we speak, and I think that's a signal. That's I needed your book to send me the signal to clean my kitchen because that is a signal I try not to listen to very often. <laughs> That and when your sink has mystery water in a bowl for so many days that things are growing, it's like, okay, you're you're too busy. You know, it's time to really slow your life down. And one, one example I use is, you know, I used to wear pantyhose under slacks because, you know, all the big fear of panty lines, ooh. And sometimes I'd be in a hurry and I'd take them off all at once. Well, one day I put on these slacks and I'm walking and there's this thing hanging out the pants. And I was pulling on it. Here it's the pantyhose I'd left in there. And I'm standing out in public yanking a whole pair of pantyhose out my pants. <laughs> I was mortified, and there's a bunch of people on the corner watching thinking, what in the world? So even slowing down to undress and to get dressed, you don't even realize sometimes the hurry you put yourself in. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Well, after you had the, the, the big success with God Never Blinks, which I, I, I just love that title anyway, um, then, then you wanted to write um, Be the Miracle, 50 Lessons for Making the Impossible Possible. So what what made you want to write that book and and t- tell everyone a, a little bit about that book and and how you you know started writing that and and got to that place to 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 write that book. 
Sure. Well, I've been a newspaper columnist for 20, well, I've been a journalist for 26, 27 years. I've been a columnist since uh, 1994. And I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people that have powerful stories about how they've been the miracle in big ways, small ways. And I was thinking about, you know, the economy the last few years has been really hard and a lot of people feel like, you know, I need a miracle in my life to change things. And I thought sometimes we can be the miracle for each other and we don't realize that. We're looking for the government or the the head of the company or somebody else to make the difference. So I sat down and thought, what have I learned from all these people I've talked to about how to be the miracle? And one of them is a man named Larry Petrus who was a retired salesman. He used to sell like bolts and nuts. And he goes to a shelter and writes resumes for guys who just got out of prison. Wow, he magnifies the good. Mm-hmm. They leave there with a resume of their life. And what he does is he ta- he talks to them about, like, what did you learn in prison? What did you learn when you got out? How do you craft it into, here's my best self? So little things like that, like how can you be the miracle? Um, there's another person who cuts hair for the homeless. He's not a barber. He, he says the difference in a bad haircut and a good haircut is about a week. So he just picked up a pair of scissors <laughs> and called himself a barber and said, you know what? These men need to feel some dignity. And so he shows up and gives it to them. And he's not waiting for the government to create a program, cutting hair for the homeless. He just decided to do it. So the the book is full of miracles that I think are big, but you don't have to be big to do them. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's a miracle when somebody has the eyes to see those little miracles and share them with everybody else. And uh, that's that's a miracle, and you know, thank you for you know taking the the uh, the time to slow down and be able to capture those things and point them out to the rest of us, and then that way maybe we can slow down and, and see those things too. Bob, do you, um, do you have some another question for Regina? Um, <clears throat> there were so many good chapters in um, uh, Be the Miracle. Um, let's see. Uh, lesson number 13, I really like that, uh, give birth to yourself every day. And uh, chapter 39 especially is what you think about, you bring about. Oh, and yeah. can you kind of talk about that? I know, I think you said in there, um, let's see, I have it written down here. Um, I need to evict those people who live rent-free in my thoughts. And can you kind of talk about that? Sure, sure. I think a lot of us have a committee in our head uh, of real people or fake people, whatever, that just have this constant stream of negative thinking. It's It's a stream that starts with, I can't, I'll never, I won't. And if you listen to that long enough, you believe it. If you think, well, I'll never be a published writer, well, then you probably won't be. And I think that you have to start with changing your thinking first. A lot of us think everything outside of us has to change, and then we'll get the promotion, or then we'll be able to get pregnant, or then whatever. And what I found, even something as simple as uh, if a couple wants to have a child, a lot of times they say, well, it's not working. And I say to them, do you know for sure deep down inside of you you want this? Because sometimes there's such a fear of what am I going to be like as a parent. You've created sort of a barrier to the thing you think you want, but you still have all this thought going against it. It's almost like we say we Mm -hmm. want the new job, and yet we're so afraid of it that we can think our way out of not getting it. So I think Mm -hmm. real change starts with changing how you think. And what I've done is 
I try to catch myself when I take negative things. When I start in my mind complaining, I'll say, wait a minute, do you really want that to happen? If that happened just now, would you want it? Even something like being afraid to walk to your car. Instead of being afraid, I'll pause and say, you know, Regina, walk like you're a powerful, strong person and believe it. Mm -hmm. And I pause and I Mm -hmm. climb into the strong, powerful person I am and walk to my car. I think sometimes we attract the things we think about because it's almost like there's a magnetic field we create of, of junk. I have a friend who I love dearly, but every time you ask him how are you, he complains about his health. No matter what's going on, it's always a cough, a cold, a foot ache, a stub toe, whatever. And I think, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, really, and it's almost comical. It's almost like Eeyore in the Winnie the Pooh, you know, the, the doom and gloom mm-hmm. character. And I think if he changed his oh, thinking, yeah, yeah. his health would change, you know? Sure. And even with cancer, yeah. I had to change. I had to stop seeing myself as, oh, poor me, I'm stuck doing chemo for six months. Oh, poor me, I'm stuck doing radiation every day for six weeks. And you know what I do with radiation? I got my bike, I got my helmet on, and I rode my bike to radiation every day because I didn't want cancer to win. And I rode up this giant hill on the way back. I mean, it's re- literally like a 45-degree angle to the hospital coming back. And every day I climbed on that hill, I felt like I was telling cancer, I'm winning. And you know what? I'm mm-hmm. still here 15 years later, so I think I won. Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, you know, we we all won. We all won with that. We all, through you, um, kicked cancer's butt, you know, that day. <laughs> because you, you, you got to share that story with, with you know, with, with everybody else. Had, had you not survived, you know, we wouldn't have had all of this, you know, come our way, you know, as, as, as the public and the masses. I, I wanted to tell people that your books are also very humorous. You have a really great sense of humor. And one of the things that was so funny is that how you said that every that, that men see every room as a den. And when you and your husband were trying to um, uh, decorate your, your new home, it just, again, it just brought me back to my husband when I first married him. He really came with a, um, and, and I've been married 27 years, his dowry that he came with was a stereo system like you would not believe, like he was some huge DJ, you know, down on the L.A. Strip, um, and a deer tapestry, and a whole bunch of magazines, like wrestling magazines and baseball magazine that he'd saved and collected basically I guess his whole life so he had this stereo system I think that we were still paying on five years later a deer tapestry and a whole bunch of magazines and when we were decorating he um I I saw him go to his toolbox and I thought I wonder what he's going to be doing with that toolbox and he got out these giant nails and a hammer and he starts in the middle of the living room nailing up that deer tapestry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We've been married about five minutes. <laughs> and that's how they think for better and for worse. Exactly. I'm like, that is not going in our living room. But it was about compromise and finding out where he could put that deer tapestry. He had it for a long time. But but then you uh, you said about your husband's um, red car pictures or something. You put them down in the basement later, years pictures. later. Oh, yes. They yes, were like yes. a 10-year-old would have in their room. You know, rate, two big racing cars <laughs> framed in an ugly black frame. And he wanted to put them up right in the entryway. I'm like, that's not the first thing I want people to see. I don't really want them to see them anywhere. And so we lived in our <laughs> house with everything on the floor because we couldn't agree on where to put any pictures. And we finally could agree on like one or two. 
and the racing cars, I said, well, let's just put him in the basement for a while. And then, like, two years later, he found him. He goes, whose are these? And I'm like, those are yours. He goes, no, they're not. He wouldn't even claim them. <laughs> wait them out, you know. That's right. Sometimes you do have you to do. wait them out on that. You, do, you know, I think that's patience you learn. You know, one of my lessons is give time, time. And sometimes you have to give your husband time. Like, he'll get over it in time. You know, even going through cancer. It was hard when I had to make the decision to have a double mastectomy because I have this genetic defect for breast cancer. And it was really hard to think, oh, my gosh, like, for the rest of my life, I won't have breasts. And we're such a breast-obsessed world, my goodness. And you know what? Mm-hmm. It was easy for me at first to make the decision. It was harder for my husband to catch up. It took him, like, just a week. But at first he, mm-hmm. you know, said, well, what if you don't do it? What if this and what if that? And I thought, you know what? I just need to be patient. I just need to give him time and not feel hurt. Because sometimes we can get hurt right away. And the other person isn't there yet. We just need to give him more time. And then... By the end of the week, he said, you're doing the right thing. I'm 100% behind you. It's like he was on his own little meandering path. And sometimes you can't hurry people up. You just have to give time, time, and they'll catch up to you or you'll catch up to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're all on their own you know? little journey. Oh, yeah, he's great. Oh, my gosh, you know, your husband just sounds great. He yeah, and I, I, it's funny because I, I wear prosthetic breasts, you know, I, I didn't get reconstruction. I tell people I, I named them, they said be friends with your prosthetic, so I call them Thelma and Louise, you know, and I thought, you got to have a little fun with it. So my husband always asks, can I take out the size? I'm like, no, stop being such a guy. <laughs> you got to laugh at me. You know? well, that's right. You do. Yes. What, what's next for you, Regina? What's next for me is I'm working on my third book, uh, and it's going to be, Life lessons you can use at work to get you through work to really make oh, your good. work. Oh, good. We all need that one. <laughs> well, I think we agree with that one. Well, a lot of us have jobs we either hate or we tolerate or we're frustrated at or we're not sure. Am I enough? And I want people to feel like you can matter wherever you are. My dad was a sheet metal worker. He fixed roofs. He made heating ducts. He was a small little nothing in the world of busy corporate people. But when he died, there were 500 people at his funeral because he put the roof on all their houses. And they remembered that he kept them warm, that when their heater stopped at 3 in the morning, he got out of bed and fixed it. So Mm -hmm. that kind of work, it mattered to the world. He didn't know that, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the Mm -hmm. next book is going to be. And the other thing I'm working on is my daughter's expecting baby number three, and being a grandma is the best job in the world. So I don't Mm want to lose sight of the, the joy of just life as I'm busy here. Right, right. Those are both great, great ideas, you know, and I I can't wait for them to come out because people do get frustrated at work, and that's where they spend the majority of their time and how sad they have to be in a place so long and be unhappy or hurt or whatever. You're right, you're right. And I think a lot of it, too, is – you know, whatever boss you have, it's like, okay, how are you going to respond to that person? And for me, a lot of my bosses, it was my dad. My dad was a lot of, you know, we had 11 kids in the family. He was under a lot of stress. We didn't get tucked in at night with Winnie the Pooh. We got tucked in with the belt. So there was a lot of stuff to to let go of. So, you know, he, he did the best he could. But every boss I right. had was my dad. And I, and I would either get mm-hmm. mad at that boss or be scared of the boss. And I realized, Regina, the problem isn't the boss. The problem is you need to heal your relationship with your dad or you're going to keep getting the same boss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know what? When mm-hmm. finally healed, new boss, same person, just the way he needed. Right, right. Well, I always-
always have to remind myself too, and and um, I'm not always good at this, but but I I am better than yeah. It's it's all baby steps, you know, one after another, and then you know it, it, you get a little better at things. But I always have to remind myself that God loves that person too. Because I'm always thinking that God's on my side, God's with me, you know, it's me and God. And then I'm thinking, wait a second here. Maybe those right, people right. think God's on their side. God's other children, I call them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. And it's hard to, you know, I have to remind myself, you know, that that God loves them too and he has a purpose for them. And, you know, it's just not a little segregated group of us over here. <laughs> the chosen to you. Yeah, I have a bumper sticker. I have a bumper sticker on my car. It says, "God bless the whole world, no exceptions." And I have to remember that every time I see it, it's my reason. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody who's cut me off, they're God's child too. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. I I'd seen a bumper sticker not long ago. It says, um, "I'm unique, just like everybody else." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Oh, that's a really good one. I gotta remember that one. <laughs> Barb, do you have another question? Well, no, you know, I'm I'm just listening and enjoying to um the interaction here. I think it's great. And I just feel like I've met a kindred spirit. Oh, that's so sweet. Well let me let me share one lesson because I think it might be something really valuable for your listeners. You know, I grew up in a big family, eleven kids and my mom was at home all the time with us. You couldn't say she didn't work because she worked her, you know, what off with 11 kids. But I didn't really know her because she was so busy. And I spent my whole life kind of wanting her to move closer to me and felt like, I, how come I don't have that, you know, bond with my mom? And I realized it was up to me now. And so when she turned 75, I read about this in God Never Blinks. Um, the lesson is the best is yet to come. She was turning 75, and I thought, Regina, when are you going to get to know her? You know, she kept telling everybody she's not living past 80. I took her to get carpet one day, and she, the guy told her there's a 15-year warranty on the carpet. She goes, I don't need it. I'm not going to be around that long. <laughs> oh, you're scaring the Home Depot guy. <laughs> but she told me. That sounds you know, like I, the I people know. we know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when she turned 75, I sat down, and I wrote down 75 things that I was grateful for about my mom. And it made mm. me put my magnifying glass on what she did right. Because I spent part of my life putting on the poor me. My mom was too busy. Oh, poor me. There were so many kids. I mean, everybody's got a poor me story, no matter what it is, no matter how great you had it Mm -hmm. or how bad you had it. But it's where do you put the magnifying glass. So I made this list of everything she did that I was grateful for. And I gave it to her on her birthday. And it was amazing. Every one of my brothers and sisters jumped in and added more to it. And we talked about what a great gift she was. And it made us treasure the things she could do and stopped looking at what she wasn't able to do. And since then, I've come to know and love her in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really wonderful. You know, I think as mothers, we don't um, feel as valued many times, you know, as we really are. And um, we don't get the medals or their awards or um, the letters of approval. And so we go through life feeling devalued. And mm-hmm. that was a really great gift that you could give your mother. Well, in the day of her birthday, I ended up taking her shopping, with, which I hate. I am not a shopper. I want to get in and get out. I'm like a guy hunting. Pick a store, pick an item, <laughs> and get out and put it on the wall. You know. But my mom is a meander. I took her shopping. It took all day long. And I realized, Regina, 
just spend time with her. It's not about buying mm-hmm. anything. I spent the entire day with her, took her to get a little gelato afterwards, drove her home an hour away, and she said to me, this is the best birthday of my whole life. I thought, oh, my God. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I never really celebrated her until that day. I never spent a whole entire mm-hmm. day with my mom, just me and her, until that day, because there are so many of us. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, mm-hmm. the best is yet to come. You never know what you could still get in a relationship or give. Mm-hmm. Right. And your mom is still alive? And, She's and still alive. She too. She's hilarious. I took her to her doctor appointment <laughs> last week. And uh, on the way home, well, she That goes, reminds me of Lesson uh, 45, where make amends as soon as you can and yeah. uh, while you still can. Yeah. And People so you were doing something like that. You know, I think it was making an amends. And, and to me, an amends isn't just, oh, I'm sorry, and then I'm done. Mm-hmm. It's a living amends. So when my mom needs somebody to take her somewhere, I'll make sure I can get over and take her. Last week when I was taking her to the doctor on the way home, I said, Mom, let's go to the Dairy Queen. She goes, yeah, let's live recklessly. You know, and I thought, we're well, <laughs> just by being reckless, you know. But a, an amends isn't just an I'm sorry, an apology. You know, because a lot of people, mm-hmm. especially guys who maybe – didn't um, support their children with child support, maybe didn't go to all their events, they'll apologize one day and think, oh, I did my part. No, you need mm-hmm. to go to the next soccer game or the next theater production or, you know, send the child support check. And I'm sorry doesn't do it. You have to repair the mm-hmm. damage and fix the inaction. Mm-hmm. You know, take action. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Regina, it has been just a huge pleasure to have you on. I want to tell everyone they can go to your website, reginabrett.com, R-E-G-I-N-A-B-R-E-T-T.com. You're also on Twitter, um, and uh, but they can keep up with you through your website. And all they have to do is turn on TV on because you're everywhere lately, and, yeah, and I'm happy to see it. <laughs> because, yeah, I, I also- I, you know, like I said, uh, when, when, when you find something that, that you like, you want everyone to like it. And it was so funny that you know, here I liked, you know, the the the, the fifty lessons. I'm turning it on, and it's everywhere. I was so happy for you. That's funny. Well, just real quick, I also have a radio show. It's called. You can get to it at reginabrettshow.org. It's on a NPR station in Ohio, and um, it's really like you said. You get when you like something, you want to share it, so you get to spotlight you know uh, writers and other guests. So you can listen by podcast, and I think I try to do what you do, Lori and Barb. Just give people a little boost in the world, give people some hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's there's. Um, the, the nice people are kind of the quiet people. They they don't want to make any trouble. They don't want to make a scene. They don't want to call a lot of attention to themselves. But there's a lot of nice people out there doing a lot of great, nice things. And we see it in, everywhere when you look. And I, I can just do show after show after show after wonderful people doing great things. And I always tell people, if you're a nice person, you're listening to this show, share it with one of your nice friends. You know, let's just let's support nice people. And, uh, you know, let's let's highlight the nice people. Let's let's talk about nice people and, and let's move forward together as a nice people movement. And you're like one that. of those nice people. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm thrilled, you know, to, to, to be able to have you on. And I was so thrilled with Hoda and then even the insider. It, was just, it, it just seemed like that week it was just like you were everywhere. It was fantastic. And I, I'm like, yes, one, one for the movement. Yes, we're, we're moving, I love it. We're I love moving forward one for the movement you're creating. 
It's a great movement, Gloria and Barb. It really is. And I think it needs to keep growing. So thanks for giving it your part here. Well, thank well, you. Thank, thank you, you. And keep writing. And I will look forward to, to the next books for sure. And I'm going to, I, I'm going to keep reading my lessons because uh, they're, they're all so great and they're also relevant as well. So, um, you know, kindness and uh, mercy and grace. You know, it's 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 timeless. It, it it doesn't get old. There's there's no statute of limitations on that. So, I'm going to keep 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 on reading. Yes, That's and good luck in the future. Well, thanks to both of you, and uh, I will try to find you online here and listen to listen from Cleveland. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, and don't forget book so many books. Come there and join us and. And say hello and have some fun with us. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And thanks for sharing books with the world, boy. The idea of reading and books can take you anywhere. They really can. So thanks oh, for doing that, Barb. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, God All right bless Regina, you both. have a good day. And thanks thanks for giving us the time. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. Oh, bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that was Regina Brett. We are just really happy that she could come on today. And, again, we encourage you to go to reginabrett.com and keep up with her and her work, and you'll be able to see her on TV. She's she's everywhere right now. Um, her message is really resonating with a lot of people. And if you go to Facebook, you can go to the books, So Many Books, and you can like that page, and you can get into that conversation with um, Barb and all of her 6,000 and growing people. There's a lot of people who like books and like to read and um, like to talk about those things. So, Barb, thanks for coming on. We're going to go out today with Ray Boltz, and I'm a big fan of Ray Boltz, as most people know, and his song, I Will Choose to Love, that he sent over for us to play, and I'm going to play it as much as I can. So have a great day, and be sure to share our show and Regina's books and any books you know about nice people with your friends, and get on over to Book So Many Books and support Barb. Thank you.
Thank you. 